0: This is Stories with a Voice, a podcast focused on spreading understanding and compassion about serious topics. This season is called Students of Struggle, a series of interviews with college students and affiliates about their personal experiences with suicide. The goal of sharing these stories is to increase hope and empathy. The following episode includes a discussion about suicide, anxiety, depression, and feelings of hopelessness, which may be triggering for some. Safety always comes first. If you or someone you know is not safe and needs help, please reach out and call the National Suicide Prevention Lifeline, which is available 24 hours a day at 1-800-273-8255. The views and opinions of this podcast do not represent any organization and are solely the opinions of the participants. I'm your host, Virginia Henry. For this interview, I sat down with McKinley Carr. She is a recent college graduate. She studied communications with an emphasis in strategic communication and advocacy. McKinley is a QPR trainer, a form of suicide prevention. She shared with me her personal experiences and what she's learned as a prevention trainer. McKinley, what brings you hope in your life? I think for me,
1: hope is less of a feeling and more of a perspective. So shifting and adjusting my perspective To see a new point of view is oftentimes what brings me hope. When I feel a lack of hope, it's usually because my point of view or my perspective is very limited and focused on the now. But when I'm able to open my eyes to the future and see things as they really are, I typically feel a lot more hope. So most of the time, my hope comes in the form of a friend Um, helping me see the world around me more clearly or in the form of an interesting podcast or a good book or a new thought. Um, My religion brings me a lot of hope and helps me shift and change my perspectives. But for me, hope
0: is oftentimes a perspective shift that I have to make. Then what makes you feel hopeless?
1: Hmm. I think I feel hopeless when when my emotions are so heavy and so so hard and difficult, that I'm not really able to see things clearly. It's when I don't see solutions, all I see is problems, and solutions are seemingly nowhere to be found, and the solutions that I can find don't seem to be enough. So I oftentimes have to get creative <laughs> if I'm trying to avoid hopelessness. For me, I guess hopelessness could be can, could be defined as a lack of creativity and um, that I'm not able to see a lot of solutions to the problems that I have.
0: I like that interesting take. Everyone's answers to these questions is always so unique and different. And I I appreciate your answer and the different flavor that adds <laughs> to that topic. <laughs> it's a flavor, that's for sure. <laughs> so on a on a more heavy note, have you or anyone you know ever experienced thoughts of suicide? Mm, yeah. Yeah. So I remember
1: there was a point in my life where i was I was in a leadership position in my um, religious community, um helping some of the women, some um, fellow women university students. And I I realized um, that many of them were, were really struggling, and a couple of them in particular were having thoughts of suicide, and I had no idea what to do or how to help them. Uh, this led me to really do a lot of research into suicide prevention and what those people experienced. As a child, I'd, I'd always heard that people who had thoughts of suicide, or people who who taken their lives or died by suicide, that these kind of people were being selfish, um, that, that they, were, they weren't they were thinking of the people around them and that it was just a really cruel thing for them to do. Now, the more that I researched and read about it, um, at this time, it was about a year ago, I realized that that just wasn't true, that these people were in a lot of pain and suffering, and that suicide for them wasn't the problem, it was the solution to insolvable problems in their life perceivably unsolvable problems. And it changed the way that I interacted with these women who who were struggling and having those thoughts. And it changed the way that I, I talked with them about it and the perspectives that I shared. And I realized that they really just needed someone to listen and that that empathetic listening is what really, really provided hope um, for them. And it provided that stability and that safety that they needed to oftentimes overcome those thoughts and find solutions that they didn't realize was there. Now, my perspective about suicide shifted even more when for the first time in my life, I had those thoughts. It was during a particularly heavy and crazy time of my life. Um, everything from my workload to the relationships in my life was just feeling a, a, little, a little bumpy. <laughs> there, was, there were some roadblocks and the road that I was driving on definitely had some bumps. And I remember during a particularly difficult time, I remember I was, was on, I was on like the third floor of, of a building, and I remember just looking out over the railing of this building, and just the thought came so easily. Um, I've never had a thought like this before in my entire life. I've had a beautiful life. The thought came so easily, and it was just, what would happen if you jumped? And I, I was scared. That thought scared me. And I remember not caring who was around me and just crumpling to the floor and crying and just feeling a lot of heavy and scary emotions. Deep down, I knew that I would never jump. But the fact that that thought came so easily and so so gently really helped to humanize those Um, those who do have thoughts of suicide that it can happen to anyone and that it could even happen to someone who (laughs) um, who didn't think that it could happen to them someone like me who is a perfectionist and a hard worker it it could happen to me and so I started to become um, I went from being very sympathetic to being very empathetic when I was working with people who
0: had those thoughts is there Are there any other specific experiences that you'd like to share that helped shift your perspective on suicide?
1: Hmm.
0: Um, at the university I work at there there was a very
1: important administrator on campus who, who died by suicide. He was the dean of students on campus and an incredible man, someone that I was able to work with during my time in student government on campus. I remember Hearing that he had died and hearing that he died by suicide was shocking to me, was absolutely shocking to me. This was all about a year ago during that time in my life where a lot of my perspectives about suicide shifted. Uh, I, I remember attending um, a wonderful funeral service for him, but the people there um, felt, felt very um, nervous talking about how he died. Now, I, I truly believe that a, that be good, beautiful stories, sometimes have very sad endings. But just because an ending was sad doesn't mean the story wasn't beautiful and his life was beautiful. But I remember hurting for those people that were there that felt so shameful about the way that he died. And I don't think there there should have been any shame in, in his death. He was a brave, courageous man that fought a hard battle. Now he may have lost the battle, but I'm a big believer that That there's so much more beyond this life and that even though he lost that battle, he will win the war in the long run. Um, So it's one thing that shifted my perspective was I realized that the way that we talked about these things and how taboo it was, was very tragic to me because it left people feeling a lot of shame, especially those who might have been having thoughts of suicide um, who were attending the funeral. There's just a lot of a lot of shame and, just, uh, and I think most of it comes from people not knowing what to say or how to talk about these heavy, difficult topics. Um, hopefully that all makes sense. But I guess if I had to summarize that experience, it was the first time that someone really close to me um, had died by suicide. And I realized that that there was so much more to it than, than what we, we could see. And that if we wanted to paint accurate pictures of... Of, of suicide and people who have thoughts of suicide that we first of all needed to be a little more okay with talking about it and with confronting some of the ideas about it that we, that we were all raised with. That there's so much more to it than, than a selfish person who, who was just going through way too much and decided to just leave. That there, these people's stories are so much
0: more complicated than that. What efforts have you made to adjust the language that you use surrounding suicide and the way that you talk about it? Some of the efforts that I've made
1: to adjust the language around suicide are instead of saying words like they committed suicide, I make a very big effort to say they died by suicide. The word commit oftentimes has a connotation of of sin, of crime. The words that we use surrounding commit are oftentimes very negative, and it's a very inaccurate way to paint suicide. When we say commit, we say they committed a crime, they committed a sin. That word's used very negatively, and then when we use it around the the word suicide, they committed suicide. It really paints this idea that these people are fully mentally and cognitively aware of what they're doing and of the implications and that's simply not true most of the time when someone goes on to attempt suicide or even die by suicide they are at the peak of a crisis and and if you've ever been in the middle of a crisis emotions are so high so heavy so hectic so crazy that sometimes we do things that that we didn't really think about and sometimes our mind isn't as pristine as it normally is, these these people who go on to die by suicide have a frenzied mind that's in a lot of pain. And they're not trying to commit a crime or commit sin, they're trying to escape pain. And when we say they died by suicide, we paint a much more accurate picture of what their experience likely was and that it was the act of a, of a person in a lot of pain just trying to escape, trying not to be a burden to those that they care about and trying to find a, a solution to what they're experiencing. And while suicide hopefully... Um, should never be a solution. It's sometimes the only thing that they can see, which is so tragic to me. Another thing I've made an effort to do and to try to teach um, when I do a QPR, a suicide prevention training, at my university's campus, is that we should avoid using the words success and unsuccessful when we are talking about suicide. When we say they successfully committed suicide, (laughs) <laughs> we paint a really inaccurate picture of suicide. Usually success is used in a positive way, very clear positive or negative connotation. We mash up that positive connotation of the word success with the word like suicide. And then you saw the word commit and there, you can see how that's a very twisted statement, they successfully committed suicide. It just has a lot of false um, truths kind of snuckin' in there. When we say they unsuccessfully committed suicide, we paint that picture that the success would have been if they had if they had died. And that's not a really, it's kind of a cringe way of talking about people's lives and something as heavy as suicide. We also kind of trivialize suicide in a lot of ways in our society. When when we're stressed, we sometimes point a, like a finger gun to our head, or sometimes we choke ourselves jokingly, and that's that's just not appropriate. I I teach people <laughs> that if they recognize themselves doing things like that, instead of feeling shameful and guilty about it, they should just stop and try to do a little better and catch themselves the next time they find themselves doing that. Because doing things like that can be very traumatic for people that have actually had people die in those ways, for people that have had a close relative or friend die by suicide, by maybe shooting themselves or by hanging themselves. And when we crack a joke that our homework is so stressful that we want to shoot ourselves, that's very inappropriate and very inconsiderate and most of the time people just don't realize that so just being far more careful about the way that we talk about suicide and the way that we subconsciously view it um, because it can have a
0: huge impact on on our immediate circle of influence you as you previously mentioned you are certified to train people in qpr which is a form of suicide prevention question persuade refers what it's called what are some of the biggest lessons that you have learned from becoming certified to train and from the trainings that you've given so i took an interest in in suicide
1: prevention Because of a lot of people in my immediate circle who were struggling with those thoughts or who'd gone on to die by suicide um, in in my campus community and in my religious community. I was um, working in student government at the university I attend, and I had the opportunity to attend our mental health council. Um, And I worked pretty closely with some incredible administrators on helping to improve mental health Um, here on our campus and as part of that one of the administrators invited me to consider becoming QPR certified. Um, Question, persuade, refer. Deciding to become certified in that training was such an incredible step for me to take. I learned so many things about suicide prevention through podcasts and through reading and through my own personal experience and working with others but this actual program that I went through to get certified taught me a lot about the history Um, a lot about personal experiences, a lot about how we as non-experts can help someone who's having thoughts of suicide. Because I'm not a therapist or a counselor, nor are many of the people who will listen to this podcast, or many of the people who we interact with. We're not in a society where everyone's going to become professionally trained on how to handle crises um, like a therapist would. But we are in a society where it's becoming increasingly more and more important to become empowered as a non-expert. And that's what QPR training is all about. So the institute that I went through, the QPR Institute in Washington, trained me to be a QPR trainer so I can train others on this very simple method that helps non-experts know what they can do to save a life. Um, So I'll just give you kind of a spark notes version of it. As you mentioned, Virginia, QPR stands for question, persuade, refer. Um, And those are three simple things that we can do to prevent suicide. First, we question someone if they're having thoughts of suicide. If they are having thoughts of suicide, we persuade them, P, um, to stay alive until we can R, R refer them to a professional, or refer them to some type of professional help. And these are three extremely simple steps that when we use them, they really help people to feel hope. And We provide that hope through empathetic listening because we know what to see, what to say, and what to do when someone we know and love is going through a crisis. Now, not everyone we meet will be having thoughts of suicide, but for the few that are, when we know what to do, it helps us to feel safe. And it helps them to feel safe. Most of the time, these people want help. They just don't know how to talk about it. And they're so terrified of, loo- of losing the respect and love of those that they care about that oftentimes they will not be the ones to approach us. So us approaching them about it and asking them about it is an act of kindness, courage um, and bravery because it
0: takes a heavy weight off of their shoulders have you ever personally used qpr i have i have several
1: times <laughs> i i went through a um a time in my life where I, I I wasn't really sure how to talk to people about these things and I guess I want to contrast that time with me now. So in the past, if someone was struggling and going through a hard time, I, I would do my best to be kind and say like, oh, like how are you doing, are, are you okay, is there anything I can do to help you? Um, and the, the answer would be like, yeah, yeah, I'm fine, and no, no, I'm, I'm alright, and I'd come to find out later through maybe another friend or from them later they really weren't doing okay. And now, now I've realized that asking specific questions is so important. So an experience I had this past semester in college was in a class that I was in. And there was a young man in this class that that I'd bump into all the time. Um, I'd see him on campus all the time. And I could tell one day in class that he was feeling very um, heavy and just that he was having a really rough time. And so after class, I just, I walked with him and it was a little awkward because we didn't really know each other that well, but I just chatted with him about his life and asked him what was going on. He told me that he'd recently had a close family member pass away and that his grandfather had died um, and that there were a lot of other very difficult things going on. He briefly mentioned a struggle with anxiety and how that was sometimes a little more difficult. I, I am so impressed with his willingness to be open with me, but I'm also grateful for my willingness to be very bold with him. And I just said, hey, I recently became um, certified to train in something called QPR, suicide prevention training. And I've learned a lot about suicide and people that are having thoughts of suicide and studies show that people who go through difficult traumatic things like you've been going through in the last couple of weeks that they sometimes have thoughts of suicide and i don't know you very well but i genuinely care about you and i was wondering if you were having those thoughts and his answer was yes yes that he was having those thoughts um, but that they weren't as heavy and they weren't as bad and that he'd had thoughts of suicide before and he'd had a plan, but now he was just kind of feeling it creeping in again. Um, I was able to ask him a little bit more about his experience Um, I left him with my phone number, um, just if he ever needed someone to talk to. And I encouraged him to reach out to the counseling center on our campus and get an appointment. And when I saw him in class the next week, I followed up just to see if he'd gotten that crisis appointment on on campus. And he said that yes, he had, and that it had really helped. That he still had a lot to work through, but at least he knew that he was in a safe place. So it was really good. It was really good. And it was so strange to me to ask someone that I didn't really know super well if they were having those thoughts because most of the time it's close family or friends that, that I talk to you more. Um, but I realized that asking him just boldly,
0: kindly, and maybe a little awkwardly <laughs> helped to humanize the experience. What kind of impact have those experiences where you've interacted with individuals struggling or you yourself have struggled have had on you? I, I used to be so scared,
1: like so scared of suicide. It was something that was frightening to me. If there are any Harry Potter fans out there, there's a scene in Harry Potter where Dumbledore is talking to him and they're, they're talking about Voldemort. And Dumbledore says, use, use his correct name or his proper name, Harry. Fear of a name increases fear of the thing itself. And I really feel that way about suicide, that we're so scared of this word. And it's not something to take lightly or trivially, but it is something It is something that we should be talking about. And so talking to people about their experiences has taken away the fear that that life is already fearful and scary as it is. And that if we have the information that we need, and if we have the tools that we need in our back pocket, that suicide and talking about suicide is nothing to be afraid of that we can face that with courage with empathy and and with a genuine real sincere desire to bring hope that there's nothing to be afraid of that we will be okay Um, that we can help other people feel okay and that feeling pain is just a natural part of this life Um, (laughs) something that, that I think of when I think about pain is a period of my life where I saw a therapist somewhat regularly, and it was a really good experience for a perfectionist who never thought in a million years she would ever go see a therapist. It was very humbling and something that the therapist I was seeing said to me one time, um, (laughs) shook me a little bit. He said, McKinley. My job is to help you confront and experience the pain that you're desperately trying to avoid so that you can heal. And I've realized that experiencing pain is a part of our healing process. And it's when we avoid pain that we really bring in some real problems. And so people who are having thoughts of suicide need to experience the pain of the problems that they're facing within the safe confines of friendship and connection. And when they can work through that pain with people that they know, trust and love, then they can heal. And they don't they don't have to they don't have to die to avoid that pain. That they can experience that somewhere safe. And if we can help them feel safe and hopeful, and if we can remember that isolation, isolation kills, but connection saves. And when we can connect, we can really help people to live and to heal. Um, And especially, it's important to remember that we should not be their, their singular support system, that we should create a team of people that know and love them to help buoy and lift this person up. And as a part of that team, if possible, we should have some type of a mental health professional, um, some type of a therapist or a crisis counselor. Um, Religious leaders are an incredible resource. There are all sorts of community resources everywhere that can help people through things like this. There are several incredible institutions and organizations that have created suicide prevention hotlines that you can call, that you can text. And reaching out to organizations like this when we're unsure of what to do can be extremely
0: helpful. And just a little a little plug in here that uh, the National Suicide Lifeline is stated at the beginning of this podcast and at the end. If you're not sure where to find that resource, you can just either rewind to the beginning or stick around for the end, and you'll hear that number that you can call to receive help or comfort or advice on whatever you're struggling with. McKinley, you have had this opportunity to train people on how to prevent suicide as a non-expert. From your perspective, do you feel like that has helped the people that you've trained? Because some people may look at it and say it's an hour. Like, how big of an impact could that have? Mm
1: -hmm. Yeah, so let's talk a little bit about um, that impact that I've been able to see. Um, one hour of suicide prevention training goes a long ways. <laughs> there are a lot of other programs and institutes that have some type of suicide prevention training. Many of them are, are much longer, like a day, two days. And most of us don't have the time or are able to make the time to attend a training like that. Now, QPR has specifically created and cultivated their trainings to make them easy, accessible, and brief. Um, they pack in the most important information. They train us trainers on how to teach that. So most QPR trainings are an hour to an hour and a half. Now that might not seem like a lot of time, but what, we, what we've realized is that when we're able to shift a perspective um, just enough that we get people thinking about these things. And when they start thinking about them themselves and when they have that base information, they tend to teach themselves far more than we could ever teach them. So the core of the QPR suicide prevention training is helping people have the base information so that they can be something that we would call a gatekeeper, meaning that they have sufficient knowledge to help prevent a suicide. Now this isn't a full-blown intervention training. It's meant to help empower everyday non-experts for what they should do if a family member or a loved one is having those thoughts. So let's paint this in a real world setting. I had an incredible experience after my first official QPR training. I trained a group of roughly 50 to 60 students and I was so nervous. I wanted to make sure that I taught them the right things, that I said it well and that I explained it well. It was such a heavy topic that I was so passionate about that all of that pressure came in. Um, Right before the training, I remember um, just taking a deep breath and reminding myself that that I I could do this. And something that was reassuring to me is, number one, that the training went, went well. I felt good about it. But then number two, I received a message just a few short days later from a young man who'd attended the training. And he shared with me an experience that he had just a few hours after the training. And if it's okay, I'd love to briefly share that experience he was outside of his apartment complex and he was on the phone with a friend after talking to this friend he walked into the complex and was walking down the hallway and he noticed two girls sitting in the hallway just outside his door and one of them was crying and i'll refer to these girls as mary and elizabeth now elizabeth um, said to mary mary you should tell him everything that's happened Mary went on to explain to this young man that had attended a QPR training just a few hours prior that she was going through a tough time and that they'd been looking for his roommate that they were close friends with but the roommate was out of town and he didn't know where else to go so they just plopped down in the hallway. Mary went on to explain that she'd been raped and that it had been very traumatic and that the man who had raped her was also a student on campus. And that he was being very persistent in wanting to see her again and as you can imagine she did not want to see him again. Her religious leader um, here in town was aware of the rape and had been an incredible resource to her but he was not aware of the man's persistence. Mary was starting to feel pretty hopeless and pretty scared. Um, She'd recently She'd recently taken some steps in her religion to come closer to God, um, some steps that were very dependent on worthiness. And she was now beginning to feel unworthy, which which isn't isn't something that, that we would ever want people to experience. Rape should never make someone feel unworthy because that was not a choice that they made um but a lot of people who who have that happen to them start to feel unworthy especially if their religion values abstinence so she was having a really heavy hard time with that she was feeling some some of that pressure um, she was also realizing that she didn't really feel like she had a safe place to go. She didn't want to go home. She wasn't super close to her family. She began to talk about the heaviness of her, her schoolwork, her lack of close friends, and that um, her friend Elizabeth was one of the only people that really knew and that she was just starting to feel really heavy, really frightened, and really scared, and just still really traumatized, as is totally understandable after an experience like that. Now the young man who attended the QPR training realized that a lot of the signs that thankfully I' taught him well about um, were signs that he was beginning to see in this young lady who had who had been raped he realized that that traumatic experience that she'd ex- That she'd gone through was a warning sign that she might be having thoughts of suicide and he took that as an invitation to check in on her and ask ask if she was having those thoughts and so he proceeded to say something along these lines he said Mary I just went to a suicide prevention training on on campus And I learned that people who go through traumatic, difficult experiences like you've gone through oftentimes have thoughts of suicide. Now, I don't know you very well, and I don't know everything about your life, but I do know that I want to be here for you to help and support you because I care. And I just have to ask, are you having thoughts of suicide? Now Mary looked at the ground and began to feel a little nervous and fidgety, but she looked back up at him, and with tears in her eyes, she said yes. Um, and this this young man, he, he grabbed her hand and he told her that things are going to be okay, and that he was going to be there to help her. Um, he went in his apartment really quick and grabbed some of his suicide prevention materials. We give them a booklet um, that helps them know what to do and provides a overview of the training. Um, he gave her a suicide prevention number and asked her to call it that night and talk with them a little more about what she was experiencing. He did an incredible job questioning her if she was having thoughts of suicide, persuading her to stay alive by listening, and then also are referring her to some type of a professional, um, even if it's just a suicide prevention hotline. And he's continued to follow up with her and keep in touch with her. Now I was (laughs) humbled to have been a part of empowering someone so brave already. And I realized that something as simple as an hour to an hour and a half can help people have just enough courage to act. Because most of the time, people don't remember what we say, but they remember how we make them feel. And these things in the QPR, suicide prevention trainings, are things that people already know how to do most of the time. They know how to listen and how to be a good friend. They know how to love, how to care they know how to do these things and just helping them know like you know what to do listen I always tell people that when when they're talking to someone who's having thoughts of suicide that they they need to refrain from giving advice because we're so quick to want to fix problems and when we see someone in pain we want to whip out our box of band-aids and slap some band-aids on that sucker and fix the problem. <laughs> but that's not what these people need. They need to experience that pain within the safe confines of of a friendship and of a safe connection. So I always say when you're when you're feeling the inclination to give advice, stop yourself. Stop yourself and just think for a moment. Is there another question I could ask this person to better understand their experience? Um, and the young man that I trained who'd had that experience that I just shared did a great job doing that. And I'm just so honored that he was willing to share that with me. Um, so I guess coming back to your original question, Virginia, how can just a brief hour, or hour and a half really help someone know exactly what to do? And the answer is that it doesn't necessarily help them know exactly what to do but it provides them with some base guidelines so that when a time comes when they will have to act because someone that they know and care about is having thoughts of suicide, they'll be able to remember a very simple acronym. And remember, I just need to ask them the question. I need to ask them and ask them specifically if they're having thoughts of suicide. You can lead into this question with indirect questions. But they'll remember, I need to ask them specifically if they're having thoughts of suicide. Because if the thought for suicide has crossed my mind for this person, then it's more than likely crossed their mind. And once I ask them if they're having those thoughts, then P, I persuade them to stay alive and I listen and I ask them about what, what they're experiencing. Um, and once I've persuaded them to stay alive and use phrases like, we can do this, I care about you, I want you to live, then I need to remember that I'm not the one who's going to solve this problem. While I can be a great support, this person really needs the help of some type of a mental health professional. And there's no shame and them going to see a therapist or going to a support group or um, calling a suicide prevention number, that there should be no shame in that. And if they're feeling that shame, then I can help to alleviate that. And I can help them take that step to find some type of a professional, a mental health professional to help them through this. Because I should not be the one taking this on on my own because I am not a professional, I'm a (laughs) non-expert. So hopefully it helps people to realize those things and realize that this is something they should be talking about, they can be talking about, and that they really can make a difference through one simple, small little act. I guess the big thing we want people to take away is a little more courage to act when they need
0: to. And of course, this is just, there. like you mentioned before, there are so many different institutes and foundations that have created suicide prevention trainings and, and different ideas and, and ways on how to, to help save people's lives. And this is just one example. And I think the, the overarching message is that even though you're not a professional, you're not an expert in the field of mental health, you can truly save a life through being a good friend and taking action when you see somebody in need and that doesn't mean you have to be suicide prevention trained that doesn't mean you necessarily have to do anything but if this helped spread a little bit more awareness in just this little podcast then that's the point we're not trying to necessarily advertise for something but we just want to help people and that's why this podcast was created uh McKinley, what is one thing that you would want people to know that changed the most for you about your perspective of suicide? Mm. So people who haven't had a lot of experience with this, people who haven't been trained in any way, they've never had thoughts themselves, I mean, completely foreign to them, what would you want them to know? It's kind of a big question. Yeah. Sorry. <laughs> no, that's a that's a really great question. I
1: think I think that I would want people to know that suicide can affect anyone and that we should be very mindful of that. That doesn't mean we should be fearful and afraid. <laughs> Sometimes when I'm training a group of students, I I gently remind them that they don't need to leave feeling heavy and scared, that everyone they know and love who's going through something hard is having thoughts of suicide. Because the fact of the matter is life is just kind of hard sometimes, and that most people are able to work through those hard times. But sometimes when things really pile and stack up in anyone's life, whether they're ten or whether they're 110, that sometimes those problems can seem insolvable. And sometimes the thought of suicide can cross their mind. And that suicide is the most preventable form of death. And that suicide prevention is everybody's business, not just, not just the duty of a therapist, that it can be our, our duty as well to help provide that safe connection. I hope people would realize that this is nothing to be afraid of and that as we face this difficult, scary, somewhat taboo topic with courage and kindness, that we can help to save lives and that being informed and knowing what to see, what to say, and what to do can really help us to find the bravery that we need when we need it because oftentimes i've learned in my life <laughs> that that when the time to act has come the time for preparation has ceased and i'm either prepared or i'm not and so it's so good to be prepared and to be informed the qpr institute isn't the only institute that's created a brief simple explanation or program to teach people what to see or what to say or what to do. We can be informed from a number of mental health professionals. But I think that the principles that are taught in any suicide prevention training would would teach us that we need to act and that we need to do something. And that most of the time, the best thing that we can do when we act is to be loving, to be kind, and to be brave And oftentimes that looks like asking people a question, an open-ended question that would allow them to share what they're experiencing, that would allow them to connect with us in a way that's appropriate to whatever level of closeness we have. Um, And then I think most suicide prevention programs would have us connect that person to some type of a professional. There are so many resources in our communities that we're unaware of. So overarching big message that I hope people can take away from all of this is don't be afraid. Don't be afraid. Suicide can can affect anyone. Those thoughts can affect anyone. But we don't need to be afraid that we can be informed and brave and kind.
0: I'd like to thank McKinley Carr for talking with me about the serious subject of suicide. McKinley is a recent college graduate and QPR trainer. I'm your host, Virginia Henry. This is Students of Struggle, the first season of Stories with a Voice, a podcast focused on spreading understanding and compassion about serious topics. The views and opinions expressed in this podcast do not represent any organization and are solely the opinions of the participants. If you or someone you know is struggling and needs help, please reach out and call the National Suicide Prevention Lifeline, which is available 24 hours a day at 1-800-273-8255. Thanks for listening to Stories with a Voice. Tune in each week for new episodes.